The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Big Six Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. And uh, today's uh, it's Wednesday, sometime in October. October 7th, I believe. And if it's a Wednesday, you know what that means. It means it's a Brady Quinn football show! Wow, we're That's watching right, Will. Oh, yeah. Third straight home run for the Braves while we're watching. What a lovely time to be alive. The Atlanta Braves are threatening to win a postseason series against the Marlins. It's so exciting. The Marlins have, do you know that the Marlins have never lost a playoff series in the history of their franchise? How many have they been to? They've only been to two, the playoffs twice and they won the World Series both What's times. Yeah. It's crazy. There you go. That is kind of nuts. It's like when they get in, they're in to win. They've never lost a playoff series. Yeah. Yeah. I, I said this to you before the show. I'm going to reiterate this. Uh, the way the media treated Derek Jeter and just the, the general impression of what he was doing to the franchise when he took over the Marlins, I hope they win it again this year. Just so he can literally pull down his pants, moon everyone, say kiss this, because it was it was vicious. Like no one accepted him. No one accepted their plan. And now I think he's kind of saying, like, look at these apples, you know? Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they did, like, let 42 teams into the playoffs, and they did win a – um, hey man, doesn't matter if they win it. Is anyone, is anyone going to complain about the Lakers and them going and win the NBA finals? No, no. I, no. I don't. I, let me ask you that. In football, it won't matter unless we end up with a ten game season. Like which one? I don't. What's that? Which we won't. No, we won't. I, I, but I'm saying it won't. Matter. If we play sixteen games, and it's irrelevant. We're playing sixteen games. I, I, I'm. I know that. But I'm saying that the only way this would occur for football is if, okay, for instance, college football. Yeah. The way things have gone with college football. There you go. You can make an argument that there would be an asterisk situation. I, I, however, I think that is stupid. Like, like the people are like, oh, the, the lightning won the, the, the Stanley Cup. It's an asterisk. It's like, no, they had to pause the season in a pandemic, reboot in a bubble, and then play like completely disrupt their lives and play in a bubble. Like, it's not, if anything, it's a positive asterisk. Like, like, good job for you guys. Yeah. Look, no one's going to care. Um, when they take that into account. In fact, I want to say if you go back, uh, just looking at, cause we brought up, I brought up the NBA, uh, season and their finals. I want to say one of the seasons that LeBron won. I don't know if it was with the Heat. I think it was with the Heat. Was that a shortened season too? Mm. Yes. His first title. Strike? Yeah. Oh yeah. 
I mean, the- so, so, but like, no one remembers that, you know? So if you're just looking at, you know, whether or not there should be an asterisk, I, I say no in part because like this has been stranding on everyone. Like you could make just as good of a case that it's even harder to win a championship, uh, during these times. And it's even harder to abide by all the rules and regulations, uh, to keep you and your team safe and your family safe for that matter. So I, I don't, I don't view it that way. Um, but again, I just hope the Mullins win so Derek Jeter can, you know, stick his middle finger up to everyone. Uh, and I'll point out too that the 19, now how do we do this when we talk about this team historically? The Washington football team. The Washington football team is what we refer to them as from now and forevermore. No, no, I understand that, but I'm saying like, if I'm talking about the 1982. Doesn't matter. The 1982 Washington football team. Is that how we're going to do it? Yeah, I think that's how you have to do it. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying from like a cancel culture discussion type of way. I'm saying from like a, like AP stylistic kind of way. I don't know how that works. I think, I think this is the safer way. You're probably right. But like you wouldn't call, so for instance, the Raiders won the Super Bowl in 1968, right? Super Bowl two. Right. You right. would not call them the, you wouldn't be like the Las Vegas Raiders won the Super Bowl in 1968. You're like, it's, the Raiders won it while in Oakland. Sure. So it's, I mean, similar thing, right? Yeah. I mean, this different destination, not like, you know, team name or like mascot, you know, that's what so we're, okay. I, I was just curious how we we're going to handle that. Anyway, in 1982, the 1982 season was abbreviated to nine games because mm-hmm. of a strike. Ain't no asterisks on Wikipedia, bruh. Yeah. You know, like, and now that's up for interpretation if you're using Wikipedia as your source. However, uh, it's a great source. I do donate to Wikipedia. Uh, but no, you don't. I don't know. Yeah, I do. I do. You donate to Wikipedia? I do. I look at it. It's a public service. So many people use it. I donate to Wikipedia. That is, that is a fun fact. Yeah. Fun fact, Brady Quinn. Hey, someone's got to pay for it. So we don't have to have all these ads and so forth, right? They're providing you with information we're using on our show. Someone's got to do it. I would not have pegged you as a Wikipedia donor. Yeah. Uh, Evo, are you a Wikipedia donor? Uh, no, I have never heard of one, anyone in real life being a Wikipedia donor. So this I is, hadn't either. That's why the first one. Hundred bucks past two years. Wow. Each of the last two years. Yep. Did you write it off on your taxes? Uh, I honestly probably forgot. Um, I probably had some larger contributions that the. Uh, by focus my attention on. So I've got my own foundation I'm running. So I, I'm kind of more pay attention to those sorts of things. Or, you know, for example, we've got a, a great fantasy football drive that goes to St. Jude. So I usually make a pretty nice contribution during that time of year for CBS. So you, you don't donate $20 to St. Jude's for CBS? Uh, I, I donated in the four figures. Wow. $1,001. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, no, that's great of you. You are look, Hey, you know what? You give back. I, that's what I like about you, Brady. Uh, I was on, um, I was on Andrew Perloff's podcast earlier today, recorded it with Dan Patrick's producer. And, um, I met, we, we, we were actually rating, uh, handsome, handsome quarterbacks. He said handsome journeyman quarterbacks. I said, if you dare say that Brady Quinn is a journeyman quarterback. I mean, I, will... I, I, I was a journeyman quarterback by the end of that. I was, I was at three teams in one year, dude. Well, his, but, then, but then his producer was like, oh, he only played for two teams. I was like, no, no, no. He played for like a, a bunch. Okay. I, I, I said Brady's not a journeyman. He was a first round pick. Uh, and I gave you the most handsome rating out of the four guys that were uh, brought up. It was I appreciate that. you, David Carr, Chris Sims, and, uh, there's somebody else that didn't even make the cut. Huh. Boy, I wish we could have a quick segue out of this segment. Yeah. This is awkward. Uh, I don't know why you asked me about it. anyway. I, what am I talking about? 
I don't, I don't. I think it was just a humble brag that you were on Perloff's uh, podcast. No, 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 no. He, no, that's what I was gonna say. He, I was like, I was, I was like, he asked me about something, a, a theme in the NFL this year. I said I was talking with Brady Quinn about this. He goes, "We've been here three minutes, and you already name dropped Brady Quinn." So, which I just did with Andrew Perloff as well. I guess I'm just a name dropper today. Uh, anyway, I was talking about the nine deep that we were ta- texting about. You know, the- <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen that outside of that one. This may be on a couple occasions, but, uh, yeah. Well, my, my point, we were talking about how do you stop Mahomes. Right. And I said that you do what the Patriots have to do. You can play the zone coverage on the back end so you can keep an eye on him at some point. I don't think it's foolproof. I'm just saying that's the rest. You, yeah. So I would say this. If you have the personnel to match up, right, you'd match up. You typically play man. You could even, you know, double one or two of those guys, depending on how many guys you want to rush, right? Uh, if you rush three, obviously you could double three of those guys, uh, and still play man and man coverage. The problem is, is not many teams actually have the ability, uh, to match up like that with man to man. So you typically play more of that drop eight, what many people know as prevent. But if you watch a lot of big 12 football, you would say that that's their defense. It's a three down front, uh, usually with three linebackers. And then they've got five DBs, if not potentially more. Uh, there's a lot of five man boxes and it's only a three man rush. And it's really hard to throw against. It's, it forces offenses to kind of dink and dunk. You're throwing a swing to the running back out of the backfield or your quarterback scrambling for a four or five yard gain because no one can get open. Like there really aren't many plays that you design for prevent. Like if a team's running, you know, prevent on you, like usually you're down in a game. You're just trying to get back. And that's the whole point. Uh, but against the Kansas City Chiefs, like teams are basically admitting like, Hey, you're too good. We cannot stop you. We just hope to slowly let you work the ball down the field if you're willing to be patient enough. And that's really how the New England Patriots have challenged uh Patrick Mahomes throughout the course of his career. And it's it's been pretty effective. Like I think if you're gonna talk and go back to Monday Night Football, uh I thought that, that game was really won by the Chiefs defense, not so much the offense. And with the exception of mistakes by Hoyer and and Stidham, obviously with the interceptions, and then Hoyer just a, a bad decision, a you know, a, a brain fart to not realize he didn't have a timeout. Get rid of the football, you know, kick a field goal at six, six and a half. Instead, he takes a sack. They go in down three. It's like you don't need to spot Kansas City any more points than you already, you know, have at this point. Yeah, you spotted him a, a quarterback with Rona, and maybe, maybe you only let them score six points in the first half, dude. Like that's a win in itself. Like, yeah. are you telling me you get it? Anyway, I don't even want to get into that, but um, that that's something that I think you might see um, more teams mix in. I think the way they go about getting to it too. Um, and Tony Romo, Jim Nance did a good job of down in the red zone showcasing one way they went about doing it. They showed a five man front. Um, and then, then they had both edge rushers actually drop out into that coverage to with the other six players to be a part of that. Uh, that's one way of doing it. And you'll see teams use a bunch of different ways. And it's really just to kind of mess with Mahomes, change up the look, mess with the, the, the protection calls, um, and, and just kind of change up the things you're doing. Cause that's the one thing is you can't just line up and run, you know, your, your basic prevent every single play and, and they know what to expect. They'll figure out a way of defeating it. Yeah. And maybe the larger point too is we were talking on the, on the pick six podcast as we re, when recapping the Monday night football games, like yesterday's episode, I guess it was like, look, you can't like the Ravens have to figure out. And I get Don Martindale's going to do what he does. I, I respect it. I understand it. But like if you blitzkrieg Mahomes and try to hold up on man coverage, it's not going to work very well. Yeah. It doesn't work. Like you have to throw something exotic at him. And we were sort of discussing teams. Like I think the Colts could have potential to, to do, to do okay on the back end. Sure. Uh, with their defense, the Steelers, maybe you can throw the Titans in there. I, I think when you look at the Chiefs offense, they throw the kitchen sink at you, right? Sure. I mean, you get everything from, you know, reverses to 
you know, the, these fake screens, the outside to a middle screen on the interior with Travis Kelsey. I mean, just like double so jet suite that with like pitches on the, like, it's crazy. And so they throw so much at you. I almost think like the counter to it isn't some like vanilla, like safe defense. I think it's like a mixture of things and it's you like making it look like almost like the Rex Ryan with the Baltimore Ravens days with the New York Jets when he got there. It's almost like making it seem like you're bringing a bunch of pressure and you just got guys running kind of all over the place and everywhere, but really you're only bringing three or four guys at times. And, and you're like, wait, what, what are they doing? Like we've got a lot of stuff going on too, but you know, what are they doing on that side of the football? Cause that's the thing about the chiefs is they are always on the offense. So I feel like all, all these defenses are, are like trying to figure out what the chiefs are doing instead of forcing the, that offense to figure out what they're doing. Uh, I think most people are kind of scared to kind of challenge or attack them and not, again, not bring like these, these blitzes where you're leaving yourself vulnerable in the back end, but just the illusion of pressure at times and bring it from different spaces because yeah, I, I do think that's one of the things that you can catch Mahomes on is sometimes him not seeing guys coming off certain edges, uh, when, when they do decide to bring pressure. Okay. Uh, good of me to derail the show for a solid 10 minutes or so. Uh, but that, that's good football talk. People like it. Let's also, let's dive into maybe some more, more, uh, off field football talk as we head to the Houston Texans. They fired after four weeks, Bill O'Brien as general manager and head coach. And I, they didn't announce it, but I'm assuming he was also fired as offensive coordinator. Yes. Probably. Like, what if he showed, he's like, I'm here, uh, for the the offensive meeting, they're like, no, Bill, we fired you for that too. Yeah, yeah. He said, well, you didn't you didn't list it. Um, I, the way that you know, Mike Silver tweeted this out that um, he had had a conversation earlier in the week with Bill O'Brien where O'Brien thought he was going to be fired. Um, do you have any ins? Or were you surprised by this? And or you know, you you played for Romeo Cornell, who's now the interim head coach. Um, you know, you have some connections there. I'm curious if you think. Like what sort of the machinations were here? Yeah, I think my, my insights to, uh, how everything has happened is just, um, you know, I think they felt like after giving up, you know, the lead of 24 nothing versus Kansas City that this team has just been taking backward steps since then. Like it kind of started in that point. Um, and, and, and almost like similar to, to looking at like John Fox as the head coach of the Denver Broncos, right? I mean, I kind of thought they were crazy when they moved on from them after all the success they had getting to a Super Bowl and they get blown out by Seattle. And I think John Elway was just like, look, like, I think we've reached our ceiling. I think him and Peyton Manning probably got together and said, like, this is as far as we're going to go with this guy. And, and John's like, all right, I know a guy in Gary Kubiak who can help get us past that and, and help us win a Super Bowl. Like, I, we've done it before. You've done it before. This guy, let's talk to him. I think he, he'd be what you want. And, and it just so happened that's how it worked out. I think they came to that conclusion, or I shouldn't say they, Cal McNair, watching what happened last year in the playoffs and then watching the moves that he made this offseason that if you're just going to look at this season in a vacuum, which oh, let me just say this, I think it's a terrible way of doing it. Sure. But if you're just going to look at these first four weeks, the fact that Hopkins leads the league in receptions for you know, the Arizona Cardinals, he's like fourth in yards or whatever it is, um, and you haven't got as much productivity out of the other pieces that you brought in, brought in, right? David Johnson, Brandon Cooks. Uh, you could make the case that Ramel Cobb was a part of that too, considering the fact that, you know, they, they did sign Hopkins to an extension. There probably was some sort of issue or would have been an issue maybe with him coming back this year if he didn't have a new deal. Well, he didn't show up in Arizona until he got paid. So probably. Exactly. So, you know, 
you know, that probably would have been the case in Houston, which we all kind of sweep under the rug, like, oh, it's not a big deal. Well, look, they, they didn't want to set a precedent. They didn't want to sign into an extension. Like, that happens in business. But uh, on the surface, you're looking at that trade saying, it worked out for the Cardinals. It didn't work out for the Texans so far, especially now that we've seen what that offense looks like um, through the first four weeks. So I, I just feel like they, they thought they were just moving backwards. And and, and they've come back from 0-3 to be an 11-win football team, win the division. They came back from being 1-4 and went 9-7 and seven and won that division with Bill O'Brien as head coach in both those, those circumstances. I mean, they've won that division four out of five years. But I think they're looking at what they have in, in Watson, and they're looking at the future and basically saying, you know, Romeo's going to be the interim head coach. He's not going to be the future head coach. Uh, but they want to move on because I think they, they feel like they've reached the max or the limit of what they can do with Bill O'Brien at this point. And by the way, just sort of now thinking back on it, because, like, you almost wonder if Bill O'Brien called – was like calling around his buddies in the league. Call Steve Kahn. He's like, hey, man, Hopkins wants a new deal. And uh, I'm looking to move him. You, you interested? And Steve Kahn's like, yeah, 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 I sure am. You have to think that maybe maybe Bill O'Brien wouldn't like, all right, I need a, I need David Johnson and a second-round pick. Like maybe it was more like I need a first-round pick. And Kahn's like, I can't give you eighth overall, dude. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, I mean, I mean, think about this. Like to your earlier point of the fact that he, he didn't show up until he got that new deal. Yeah. You know, that, that might have been part of the difficulty was saying like, Hey, I've got DeAndre Hopkins. All right, sweet. Okay. And I want a first round pick for it. Awesome. All right. Well, like what's, what's the hold up? Like, why are you getting rid of him? Well, he's got three years left on this deal and he wants another two years on top of that once we paid more. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Oh, okay. Well, that's George perception <laughs> have declined and maybe he's lost a little bit of a step and he wants to be the highest paid wide receiver over the next five years, but no big deal in that. Right. So, you know, there was, there was those sorts of things that I'm sure teams push back, you know, once they heard that, you know, like, all right, well, you know, let's talk about it. Let's see what maybe we can work out. And I'm sure his agent was helping to kind of facilitate this behind the scenes, but um, I think it's that, I think it's, you know, maybe if, if Bill O'Brien was talking about too, the, or maybe there's this idea that uh, there's something going on with Hopkins, right? Like off the field, there's something going on. Look what happened with Antonio Brown. Maybe that was a cautionary tale because this trade occurred before Stefan Diggs who I will say one is younger. Uh, and I think that plays a little bit of a role and factor into it and still kind of ascending. Yeah. Um, but, you know, b- bottom line is, you know, and even though he had some issues with Minnesota and clearly made that public, uh, after the Hopkins trade, it was more like, oh, okay. Um, and, and look, you can sign Diggs to a new deal, but I think the difference is in that case, in looking at it, is he's a younger player. I think there's probably more questions about the longevity they, of Hopkins and, and Steel. The Bills, the Bills upped his salary for 2020 by like $3.3 million, but that's yeah. not giving him a new deal. Right. The I like paid wide receiver in football. Right. Exactly. Right. I like Hopkins. So yeah. I just, I think we, we look at that and we're like, Oh my gosh, like look how Hopkins is doing now with the Cardinals. Uh, look at how their wide receiver group looks for the Texans. Like this is why it happened because Bill O'Brien as a general manager wasn't good enough as a head coach. They'd reached their ceiling. They just want to move on a different direction. Uh, and, and by the way, it, it's, it's like a good week to do it because you got Jacksonville next week. <laughs> so, you know, that's a game that I think they're going to be heavily favored, like at least for their standard. For an over four football team to be a six point favorite right now. It, it, it's crazy to think, but like, yeah, they haven't won a game yet, yet odds makers still feel like they should win basically by about a touchdown. Yeah. Um, so it looks good for Cal McNair to make this decision. Romeo takes over. Tim Kelly's the OC now moving forward. And, and they, and they get their, you know, first win of the season without him. It's like, oh, okay. Cause that would have happened with Bill O'Brien, right? Um, yeah. well, that, that, you know, that happened last year, um, with, uh, with Jay Gruden. And I'm trying to think who we were talking to. Bill Callahan who took over. Is that what you're saying? 
Yeah, Callahan took over, but they fired him right before they played the the Dolphins in Miami. Right. They historic, and they go down there and get the win. And it's like everybody's like, "Oh, Bill Callahan rallied the troops!" Like, yeah. and I I was talking to some somebody I think on this podcast. I I don't remember anything anymore, obviously, but I was talking to somebody I thought it was on the podcast. It was like maybe it was maybe I, I don't want to attribute it to anybody, but it was somebody who's a former personnel person, and they were like, "Yeah, that's when you fire him right before you play the Dolphins." You know, like that's that's why you always do that because. So you want to be able to get that win. Like it, you know, it's, it's an easy time to do it. Yeah. But here's the reality of the situation now. Um, you know, it's one thing if you had an interim head coach who maybe could get that job. And I know Romeo has done a good job as an interim head coach. I mean, heck, I've played for him before. And then he's worked that into becoming the, the permanent head coach, at least for the foreseeable future. But I think at his age and all that, they, they know that's not the direction they're going to go. He'll be the um, oldest it, head coach ever. Yeah. When, so, he, when, he, when he, when he coaches the, when he coaches them interim or otherwise, oldest head coach ever. So they're not, they're clearly not going to go with Cornell. No. And, and, and what the direction they want to go is they want to bring in an offensive mind, someone who has, has, you know, worked with a quarterback with similar skill set or traits, uh, to a Deshaun Watson. And so that could be a bunch of different candidates, right? Uh, it could be Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, uh, who may have some desire, who wants to jump to the NFL level. And, and he might be the type of coach because he's young enough where he says, you know what? I don't want that GM title. I don't want to wear that hat. Uh, or it could be someone like Dabo Sweeney, who is like, look, if I'm going to jump into the NFL with anyone, it, it would, it would be Deshaun Watson with the Houston Texans. Now, uh, I did talk with someone earlier today and they said, well, you don't think he'd want to follow Trevor Lawrence to the NFL? And I, I think the, the, of course he would think about that opportunity or that might be out there for him if he wants to go. But I think the question you have to ask yourself is, does that team need a head coach? You know, so like that might be that perfect scenario, but. We don't necessarily know. Why does the Carolina Panthers uh, have the number one overall pick? Uh, Matt Rule's going to be their head coach. Uh, so newsflash, like Dabo Sweet is not going to just come in there, sweep away, and take over. So uh, if it was to the Jets, if it was, you know. Dabo Sweeney is not going to coach the Jets. That would end up, that would go so poor. I'm going to just put my foot down on that, on that rumor. That can't happen. Dabo in New York City coaching the Jets in that no, media come market? On, man. Give him a shot. He is. Dabo's the man. He's the man. Give him a shot no matter where he'd be. I, I think good coaches are good coaches. How do you think Dabo would – okay, sorry, go ahead. So here's the issue with, with Dabo. If I was Dabo or let's say I was like Urban Meyer, or let's say a guy I worked with, Urban Meyer, like the Houston Texans came calling. They're like, hey, you know, you've worked with quarterbacks like this before. Um, you know, and you've been able to win championships before. Like would you want to, you know, take, take this opportunity? It's obviously something you want to, you know, entertain and search out. I think though, as a former college head coach, you're the general manager. You know, you control who you give offers to. You control who you bring into your, your program. You have complete autonomy. And if that bothered Cal McNair or they thought it was too much for Bill O'Brien and they just want to find a head coach, I don't know, man. I think as if it was a part of my legacy, which I think for Dabo and Urban and anyone else that's at the college level, that's been a great that falls into it. I would be concerned. Like I would be concerned at how it would go. Uh, where you look like kind of Steve Spurrier, where you're like, yeah, no, he was great in college, but he couldn't do it in the NFL. Right. Um, or Nick Saban. So, or, or Nick Saban, who's kind of got that label, right? So that would be a concern for me, I think, if I was Dabble or any head coach like that, or Urban Meyer, whoever else is, I think I'd want full control on autonomy. That's what I'm accustomed to. And that's what I feel like probably helped me be successful at that level. And if you're going to come in, come in there and immediately say, no, you've got to work with someone else and, and he's, you know, kind of your equal and you guys got to make, like that, that probably ain't going to fly. Um, and so that might be part of the difficulty too in making this decision. If you want to look at, at the college football ranks, um, you know, I'm sure they're going to look at a lot of the, a lot of other offensive minds. Josh McDaniels could make a lot of sense. 
uh, given what he's doing this year with Cam Newton and given the fact that I think he wants another crack at a head coaching job. Uh, and, and how much fun would that be, by the way, for him to take the Houston Texans job after he served the Indianapolis Colts? He gets to play him twice a year. That'd be amazing. And, and he's like following the guy who followed him when he left for right. Denver, who the, he then right. followed after Bill O'Brien left for Penn State. But, but then I, the question's like, are you going to go that direction again if you are um, Calvin Nair? Like, if you were upset that Bill O'Brien's a fiery guy when things are good or things are bad, you don't think Josh McDaniels going to be fiery too? I mean, uh, I just, you know, that, that's that's the only thing there is, like, you'd be bringing somebody who'd be very similar in a lot of ways. So how does that end up working? How do you sell that? How's that how does that end up working out? Uh, but there, there's other some other offensive guys, offensive minds out there. Eric, the Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy would be one that would be up there. Uh, I think he should be at the top of the list. Um, and, and then from there you say, okay, if, Eric, if it's Eric Bieniemy or Josh Daniels, whoever else, uh, how are they going to make our defense better? Because as much as we want to blame Bill O'Brien and because of this trade and everything else, their defense is awful. They haven't gotten a turnover yet this year. Everyone's, they're giving up the most rushing yards. Everyone's almost rushing for like 200 bills on them every single game. And yet we're like, oh no, it's because Bill O'Brien was a bad general manager and he's made this trade and their offense is, I'm like, dude, they can't stop anyone. What does it matter what their offense does at this point? They'd be like the Falcons at this point. You know, no matter how good their offense could be, they can't stop anyone. So they, it's looked, a, they made the, they made the freaking Vikings look like the hogs. Yeah. Like they were like, they, I mean, that first Dalvin Cook touchdown run, cause I was going back and watching it. And it's like, I mean, he is, he has four or five gigantic holes to choose from. And he, and they have JJ Watt on there and look, Watt's great. He's a hall of famer, first ballot, no question. But I mean, like he can't, he can't transform an entire defense by himself anymore. No. Well, they don't have the coverage players. They don't have the coverage players in the back end right now, too. That's part of that issue. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, between Watt and, and, uh, Charles Menahue and, and Whitney Merciless, like they, they've, they got, I think they got like 10 sacks as a team right now, which is like middle of the road. Right. I, I don't know that they'll finish that way, uh, the rest of the season, but I, I guess my thing is just the timing of all this. I just think the timing is, it's, it's a little bit unfair, I think, to the players as well as, uh, to Bill O'Brien, in part because if you're upset about the trade, you gave it four games in a year where there was no offseason, with the, with the exception of training camp, which is a little bit different, and there's you no know, preseason. And so, like, what do you expect? I and mean, look at their schedule. Like, who thought the Houston Texans were going to be better than one and three, maybe zero oh and four with the first four games they played? I mean, like, I just not I, even Bill O'Brien. Probably not. Like, yeah, he's like, if I go two and two, it's a win, man. I, I was talking with uh, John McClain from the Houston Chronicle about that. I said, well, when you picked him to be after the first three weeks or first four, first four games? He goes, well, I, I pegged him to be one and three. I was like, well, okay. I was like, why is everyone hammering down like this? Well, but they didn't look competitive. I'm like, look, it's not horseshoes and hand grenades here. It's like, you lose, you lose. Like, I, I know it, like, it makes a difference at the end of the day because people are like, yeah, but we were so close. Like, well, okay. No one's looking at Dan Quinn right now as a winless football team as their head coach and going, yeah, but you know, they were so close versus Dallas, but they just lost. Like, yeah, they're, they're being like, no one cares. At the end of the day, it's a win or it's a loss. It's all that matters. In fact, Dan Quinn's probably getting banged worse because he got right. Exactly. It's like, it was really close. Unfortunately, it was really close. Uh, yeah. I think so. What do you, I, I agree with you that the college coach thing is tough because I think you, if I'm a college coach, uh, with no, it's tough because you got no head coaching experience in the NFL, but I would want to have something like Pete Carroll came into Seattle with when he had John Schneider or, um, even Andy Reid when he moved to Kansas City, where you say, listen, here's the deal. I'm going to come in, but I'm going to handpick my GM, but right. I'm going to have final say. 
I'm going to work collaboratively with this person, but like you don't want to deal with the the machinations of power struggles within an organization. It's sort of hard to imagine that happening in Houston, primarily because since Cal McNair took over after his father's passing, it's been nothing but that. I mean, Brian Gain was there for like eight months. I know. And and how could you honestly evaluate a general manager in that amount of time? You know, it's unfair to him. And and really, I always say this, like when owners make these sorts of decisions, there's one of two things that that has occurred. It's either they were, they were so bad at their job in such a short amount of time that you were able to discern that after eight months, for example, in this case, um, or, or, you know, a head coach, for example, after only being there for a year, they were either so bad that you should then remove yourself from that process of hiring the next guy. Yeah. Or you should then again think about removing yourself from the process of hiring the next guy just because your process of hiring clearly is flawed. Like if, if you can determine after eight months or a year that it's not working out, like you're the problem in either one of those scenarios as the we, owner. Making we that call decision. this the Jimmy Haslam corollary. Like just stop hiring the people, Jimmy. You're not good at it. No. I mean, I mean, stop listening to certain agents. Stop listening to some of these search committees. Hire someone that's below you that you actually trust to, to make some of these decisions and go through an, a thorough interview process. So uh, and it doesn't matter if it's Jimmy Haslam or any other owner for that matter. And look, I'm not an owner, and there's obviously a lot more that goes into it, but I played for a, a, a number of organizations, and you could tell by walking in each one of those organizations which ones were winners, which ones were serious, which ones had a successful history or were going to be successful, and the ones that had no shot. And, and honestly, like it was that simple. And whether you saw the owner that much or not, based on how that organization ran, you got to feel for it as a player every single day you're there. That, Danny Wood, we were, Danny Woodhead came on the Twitch stream with us uh, on Sunday. Do you know Danny at all? He's a good dude. I don't know him at all, but I know of him obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, but he, I, I don't, I don't know him at all. But he, he was just on there hanging out. And he was sort of, I mean, I think philosophically, like he was sort of saying the same thing. It's like, you know, you could tell, like, you know, you were like, oh. So this is how it operates here versus this is how it operates here. Again, this is not to, you know, disrespect the Browns. I love the Browns. I'm a fan of the Browns. They drafted me. I was a fan when I was young. Always will be. When I got traded to Denver, it was just different. You got there and, and the expectations, uh, for the, the equipment, you know, guys there flip, uh, for Greek, the trainer who's been there forever. Like even those guys who aren't, you know, up there in the front office, uh, with Brian Sanders, for example, at that point, or eventually John Elway, who, who came the, the following year, um, in, in his role, you know, you just felt like that degree of success and excellence that everyone was held accountable for. And it was different. And then, you know, I went to Kansas City and at that point in time, uh, you could kind of sense some of those things, but it just kind of felt different. Um, you know, but, but there was, there were some of those pieces that were there too. And then you go to Seattle and I was like, man, like this, like this team gets it. Like this is why this team, I mean, obviously Ross is a huge part. Pete's a huge part. John Schneider, you know, the people that are there, but I mean, the, the ownership there, I mean, they get it. Like the entire, that's was his first class of an organization that I was ever a part of. And so you can really understand why they've had the ability to sustain success and allow Russell to continue to grow and get better and better and better. Well, and it's, 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 you sort of need to treat it like picture it as a business and not a football team in the sense that like it, if, if positive, if the culture, if, if you have a winning culture that permeates every part of the organization, you're more likely to be successful than if you've got a bunch of like, you know, 
I don't not losers, but like, you know, people who aren't excited to come to work and all that. Uh, all right, let's take a quick break. Princeton Business Philosophy 101. Highly successful businessman. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will give out quarter pole awards for the NFL. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right so you mentioned the seattle seahawks decent chance that uh when we do quarter poll awards i we should go back and look at who our guys were last year and if they were remotely close to who ended up winning I don't, I don't have any recollection because we did this. I know we did this. Yeah, I don't did. have any recollection of what we would have picked. I probably, I'm trying to think who I would get off to a hot start. Um, by the way, Stafford at this point would have been in the conversation based on how he started last year. Remember that? He got off to a great start. Lamar Jackson was Lamar there. Jack was there. Oh yeah. Lamar Jackson after week one versus Miami. And then uh, he might, versus Arizona. He's nuclear. Yeah. Uh, I probably would have picked like Mahomes or Rogers, even though they probably didn't get off to a great start. I probably had, had faith in them kind of rebounding, but. Um, yeah, but anyway, we'll, uh, we'll do this. We'll see how, maybe we'll, we'll see how accurate it holds up. And you mentioned Seattle. Suffice to say, Russell Wilson in the mix for MVP. Uh, I think we both have him as the MVP. I, I would absolutely accept Aaron Rodgers or Josh Allen. I think anything other than. Those three guys, is there an obvious fourth guy that I'm missing? Maybe throw Mahomes in there? Yeah, you put Mahomes in there. Although, so here's here's what I'll say to make a case for Russell that he has over those other groups is, one, he's leading in touchdown passes, 16 now in four games. He should be on pace. You know, he is on pace to beat Peyton's single-season record. Uh, but there's obviously some other guys who may be flirting with that too. Yeah. Uh, it's the fact that, like, the defense for the Seahawks is so different. Uh, in comparison to the rest, right? Like the Bills that's, have that's a one way to describe it. So different. Packers, <laughs> the Packers have uh, a, a tough defense. You know, even Kansas City, you know, they won this past Monday night. I thought not necessarily from too many things their offense did, probably what their defense did. 
Um, they've improved mightily this year. So I would say they had the best defense of those four teams, Kansas City. Right now, just the way uh, they play. I'm not going to go that far. I would say I would still put Buffalo up against anyone else in that regard. But we'll see over the course of the season. But the, the point is this. I mean, Seattle, going back into last week's game that I got the call, was like historically bad in pass defense, like yards given up and so forth, like historically bad. And now they're great against the run, but that's also because they've led in a bunch of games. Like no one's, you know, really been running. And, and they they have been, you know, executed relatively well, too, against the run with Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright. But um the point is, like, he's had to do more, right? Like he's had to do more because of how their defense is played. So. Uh, I, I would definitely give it to him right now. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers obviously is up there too. Uh, Josh Allen's played well, but there's still, you know, decisions and, and things he does from time to time that I just don't know that he's quite there, but he's, there's no doubt he's in the top three. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Look, the, by the way, you had Mahomes last year at the quarter pole. Okay. Probably makes sense. Mahomes is, has he ever lost a September start? He didn't have a September interception. Um, no. and I had Christian McCaffrey, which is very clickbaity of me. Uh, by the <laughs> way, good pick. Yeah, it's fine. After four weeks, I knew. I also find the quarter pole awards to be something where, like, you can sort of do a thought, like, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I like, I didn't think Christian McCaffrey was going to win MVP. Well, you can, let's really break down the reason why you picked Christian McCaffrey. Okay, uh, you tend to be a homer, uh, so anything like Carolina based, right? So like Christian McCaffrey, Carolina barbecue, um, Darius Rucker country music. Um, what else we got? Um, yeah, obviously NC State, anything at Philip Rivers, like even though he's not actually in, you know, in that, he's not at NC State for a long time, you still pick the Colts to, I think, win the division, win the Super Bowl this year? Win the Super Bowl. There you go. Yeah. That all ties back though to you, your NC State ties, you know, being the, the around maybe the why, Maybe why I picked Russell Wilson. What? Now you're going to do this. Yeah, this NC State. That's where he started. And then obviously transferred to Wisconsin. There you go. See, like it all comes back to your biases where I picked Russell Wilson because he's not the most touchdown passes and he's played the best this year. Um, yeah, look, I think I, I would bet that you could, I think you could think you take, uh, five guys. So Russ, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen, Lamar, maybe, and maybe Lamar. I'm just throwing it because he won last year. I don't, I don't think he'll win this year. I think it would, I think it would take a lot to win this year. With the way he started and Mahomes. So maybe even take four guys, knock Lamar out. Is there anybody else in your mind that you could see surging into this list at mid season? Um, I mean, Kyler was through the first couple yes. of weeks and then he cooled off after their loss to Detroit. Um, and now they're, now they're just like, all right, like, <laughs> where is this team? Where's Josh uh, Rosen? <laughs> uh, Jared Goff and the Rams. Like, I think he's going to continue to put up some good numbers. I'm not sure he's ever really going to be in the conversation though. Um, and then obviously Dak. I mean, Dak, he's, yeah, I mean, outside of, you know, those couple of names, uh, Dak would be the other one that I think if, if, it, if Dallas starts winning football games, there's a shot. Here's the problem though for Dak is I don't think their defense is good enough where they're going to win enough. Uh, they might win enough to win the NFC East, but like that's just the gift that like keeps on giving, right? Uh, we talked about that a little bit yesterday. Um, just give so Dak the offensive player of the year award already. And let's move right, on, right? right, right. Um, all right. So I, I agree. I think it's somebody could pop up. It's possible, but I don't think these teams are going anywhere. Packers, Bills, and Seahawks. And so I think eventually, unless Tom Brady surges something like that, Brady, maybe Brady's the guy. Uh, yeah. we, we shall see. We'll update you at midseason. Uh, by the way, Russell Wilson, uh, less than two to one. Mahomes, three and a half to one. Aaron Rodgers, three and a half to one after last night. Wow. He was Ooh. seven to one going right. into last night. Oh, it was beautiful last night. Just the, 
The flick of the wrist, man. That's all it yep. is. Uh, Josh Allen, 12 to 1. Lamar, Lamarson Jackson is what Debo has in the rundown. Lamar Jackson, 14 to 1. And Tom Brady, 25 to 1. I don't hate that Brady investment. Uh, what about who's your defensive, defensive player of the year award, uh, or defensive player of the year four weeks in? We're seeing no one after the way defense looks so far this year. <laughs> Walt uh, Anderson. <laughs> I'm going to say TJ Watt for now. I mean, granted, um, you know, they, they didn't even play this past week, but. Uh, and then for a few reasons. One, like he's on a really good defense. I know that's part of it. He's been productive so far. I just feel like with what they have, what they've done so far, the defense has been the more stable side of that team so far. I don't feel like their offense has really gotten into the rhythm yet. And he, to me, is one of the guys that stood out the most, uh, as far as if you're just looking at defensive players in general. Uh, I think it's hard to really pick someone right now. Um, I mean, you could always go with the standard, you know, Aaron Donald. Um, you know, I think he's typically played extremely well, even though it's hard to build up those stats at this point in time of the year. It's hard to talk about any coverage players, though, in part because just defenses are giving up so many yards, so many points So in the passing game. So uh, T.J. Watt, to me, has been the guy that's kind of stood out, at least at this point, uh, even though we're coming off a week where he didn't play. Uh, but, again, this is this this thing could go any which direction by the end of the season. Yeah, predicting a defensive player right now would be insane. I'll, I'll take Miles Garrett. Uh, five sacks, three forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, uh, two tackles for loss, and six quarterback hits. He's been dominant. Zadarius Smith has been really good too, by the way. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, uh, when, when some of these selections were made, uh, maybe we didn't, you know, maybe that game wasn't finished yet. So right. maybe you would have been in the conversation. Yeah. That's right. No, no, look, I, I think you're right. Picking a defensive player of the year. We're just, we're just giving a nod to who is, who's playing yeah. well defensively. There are not many people who are doing it, uh, right now. You cannot bet on that at William Hill currently. You can, however, bet on the offensive rookie of the year. Joey backdoor burrow has moved into the minus 110 range. I think he was like two and a half to one before the start of the season, which it, it's a, that's pretty low odds to hammer for a, for an offensive rookie of the year, but man, he is awesome. And he is our consensus offensive rookie of the year through four weeks. I was trying to be a contrarian and looking at maybe James Robinson or CD Lamb or Justin Jefferson, but I don't. Right now, if Joe Burrow plays sixteen games like this, it's over. Uh, hold on. I mean, Justin Herbert could be up in this conversation too. No, Justin Herbert doesn't exist in this podcast. Thank you. Okay. Well, I'm just kidding. No, no, I, I agree. Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert would be the other guy that I think numbers wise he could be close. The biggest problem he has might be his head coach playing him or not <laughs> the rest of this year. Right. <laughs> Once um, Tyrod comes back as healthy. You can't play you can't play Tyrod Taylor. What you can't. I, dude, I know. Like we don't need to get into this because I think we're on the same page, but uh he's the future. He's he gives you a different dimension that they just don't have. Like the ability to stretch the field vertically. He's still athletic too. He just lacks experience at the NFL level. But I, I think he showcased the ability to keep them in games. The hard thing is, is the, unfortunately, the past three weeks, they haven't won within that quarterback, even though they played tougher opponents than when Tyrod Taylor, you know, went to Cincinnati and beat the Bengals to start off the year. And, and they didn't lose because of Justin Herbert. Like what? Justin Herbert was trying to get them back not into the, the game. Not the problem. Right. He's, he's played great. He's played great. In particular, I mean, he literally just came off his best game, I think, this past week, too. Let me ask you this. So I didn't like Herbert coming out of college and didn't think he was going to be good or great. Or I, th- I think he'd be good, but I didn't think he was going to be great. Uh, Pete Prisco and I have had a feud about this. Should It's too early for me to bail on that take, right? Yeah, it's way too early. I mean, look, it's too early for, for Pete to be carrying a flag like you won anything. Um, I mean, <laughs> you, this may surprise you. Yeah. Doing that anyway. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, 
like he touts his picks like, oh, so great. You even, you even, you know, pump him up too. I went 12, two and one last week against the spread. I get no love and we do a pick show together on Wednesday. It's unbelievable. Well, anyway. in, fact, in fact, people listening can watch that show. You want, you want to, you want to ride a guy on a heater of a lifetime? Come jump on the Brady Quinn bandwagon, 4 p.m. No. Eastern no. on CBS Sports no. HQ. He Don't guarantees you 75% or better against the spread this week, or he will pay for your losses. I cannot replicate what happened last week. And yet, well, two and one is by the way, when Pete, when Pete goes like, you know, 10, five and one, it's like the greatest thing in the world. I blew him out of the water this past week. Not even like a congratulatory, like, Hey, good job. Really? Good oh, nothing from Pete. Not just silent, just silent. What, but, what do you, what do you think life, like, what do you think about life on a text thread with Pete Prisco? Cause I never thought, I never thought I'd know about it. And now I'm on one. I know you're on one too with a, a bigger group. It's, uh, he's the worst texter in terms of like, like actually physically being able to text that I've ever seen before. He can't spell anything right. And, and like, he feels the need to correct each word, even though we, we know what you meant, Pete. I didn't well, think you could say when bullshit. You go, when, you, when you go to Arizona State, you've got to prove to people you're smart, right? <laughs> I think it's his fat fingers, personally. But he like, cause he'll, he'll type, he'll be like, like our, one of my favorite, he typed bullsherb one time. <laughs> We're like, bullsherb? And he's like, no, you know what I meant. We're like, no, we didn't, Pete. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, uh, I find that interesting only because it's, it's kind of similar to how he tweets. He's, uh, very concise. Straight to the point. Uh, kick. <laughs> exactly. Like, there's just not much to it, but, uh, it seems to rile people up. So I'm not going to say who the other people are. Uh, Jamie Eisenberg, Chris Hassel. Uh, but it's, it does rile up some other people who are on that text. And the best is like, I won't respond because I have a lot going on. Um, I won't respond at times. He's like, Oh, look, I got under the quarterback skin. And I'm like, dude, I've got three kids. I've got a game to prepare for. Meanwhile, I'm going to watch all this college football for a show the day before in LA. They're going to fly across the country to South Florida call an NFL game. And by the way, I'm remodeling a house we're trying to move into at the end of the month. And we're running a foundation like, and I'm going back to my degree, but yeah, I'm sorry, Pete. I didn't have time to respond back. To your group text or whatever the heck you your said. Your 42 text saying that I was going to shoot like a 92 the next time we play golf. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and by the way, he did beat me one time at golf. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I gave him strokes, but yeah, which is, which is terrible, by the way. I think he also teed off from tees, like further up tees. Like I ended up playing the tips. He played like just whatever's right behind the ladies. You know tees. the story about me and Pete in golf? I'm sure you told, we talked about this. Right? No. Oh my God. So I'll tell it really quickly. So we go and play with a couple of producers from Florida. This is a many a long time ago before you joined up at CBS. And um, we're down. We played whatever. The, uh, it was a PG. It was a TPC course down there in in in, Fort, in in Miami or Fort Lauderdale, like 20, 30 minutes away. I'm not sure exactly which course it was. Nice course. Anyway. West Palm, but yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, Pete and I are teamed up against the other two guys. We are beating them at the turn solely because I'm playing lights out. And Pete, I think Pete shot like a 56 or something like that. That's about right. He's not a good golfer. No, he's not a good golfer. I turn and look at him at the turn. I'm like, hey, man, you shot your age. Good work. And he goes, that's it. It's over. It's over. You're dead to me. We're not on the same team anymore. I will beat you. I will walk you down. I will haunt your dreams the entire back nine. I am going to torture you the entire time. And look, I got to be honest. I've never played golf with anybody like who did that. Like I, like I've played golf with people who talk trash. I don't mind that. Like that's fine. 
Um, but I've never played somebody who's I, I was on the same team with who talked trash me in the time. Like I hit two balls in the water on a par three. He maybe he's like, I'll, like I'll just take you know double par. He's like, no, you're hitting every ball in. And like I lost it on 18. Finally, I was like, that's it. I'm effing out of here. You can walk home. I'm not giving you a ride home. I don't ever want to talk to you again. I don't want to see you this afternoon again. I hate your guts. I hope you die. Get out of here. And 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 then uh, I calmed down by the time we got back to the cart. But it, it it I've never lost it like that on the golf course. Yeah, you know, I don't know. The, uh, I just I just kind of listen to what he says, and then I watch him hit, and then I laugh. But he's like talking smack, like in, like in my back. He's like, "Oh, it's gonna be a shankaroo on this one." You're like, Get out of here. <laughs> "All right, let's keep moving." Sorry. Anyway, that's the Pete Prisco discussion. Uh, Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert probably win this because they're yeah. Yeah. Defensive Rookie of the Year. You've like got they, well Chase Young is who I've got. Although you know whether or not he makes it back uh, for Week Five, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. I, look. You can make a case for Derek Brown. I think he's been really helpful for a defense that uh, it has – look, that team surprised me this year. I'm shocked to see how competitive they are right away. Uh, that's a testament to Matt Rule and the rest of the guys on that team. Um, but, you know, C.J. Henderson is the other player that I think I've thrown into that conversation. I think for a rookie, he's been pretty solid too uh, for Jacksonville. So those three – but, look, if Chase Young's back, I think with the front that they have and just the impact that he made on that, that front early, uh, that to me is probably going to be the uh, defensive rookie of the year. Uh, if Chase Young plays 14 games, yes. If Chase Young plays 10 games, no. And here's my sleeper for it. Well, he's averaging a sack a game or more. So I think, I think if, he, if, he, if he comes away, let's say he has 10, 11, 12 sacks. I mean, Nick Bosa got it last year. I think he had what, nine and a half? Do you have 10? Uh, yeah, I think, so. I think so. But Bradley Chubb had 12 and he didn't win either. Who won the, who won the year Bradley Chubb won? I can I remember that. Nick Bosa. I just looked up Nick Chubb instead of Bosa. That was sorry. Um, got a funked up brain here, Brady. Nine sacks for uh for Nick Bosa. Right, but it, it literally like we've kept talking about how that front could look similar to San Francisco. You know, maybe he has the same impact, and I think he did early on when he was there. Um, that that Nick Bosa had. So maybe uh you know maybe even if, even if ten games, you know he you know he ends up having twelve sacks. So I. Yeah. Their team's not going to be great, but or good, but I, I think he's had the biggest impact of anyone. That's fair. Uh, I, I don't disagree at all. If he plays that many games, by the way, uh, Darius Leonard won when Bradley Chubb had twelve, and that was perfectly fine because Darius Leonard was awesome. My yes, sleeper and tackles in a season. I know it's ridiculous. Uh, Antoine Winfield Jr. Yeah, uh, he's kind of played like a bunch of different roles there, right? Like he's got a couple of sacks. He's been good against the run. Coverage okay. wise, I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of still suspect on that defense. We'll see. Well, I just think he can, I think he can compile the stats. And if they're really good and he's making plays late, it could flip it if Chase Young isn't healthy. That would be my only argument. Just a sure. Sure. Coach of the year so far. Um, I'm going to go with Matt LaFleur. I mean, I, I get it. They're a 13 to three team. You got Aaron Rodgers, your quarterback, but they're good. I mean, they are really good. They are, I mean, and, and just managing. Massaging that situation. I mean, it seems like Aaron Rodgers is having fun. Seems like, um, you know, the, the Packers are in a good, like, headspace too with all of it. So I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and say Matt LaFleur. Uh, and if you say Matt Rule, which I, I feel like there's a chance you might do because he's the Carolina Panthers coach, I'm going to go berserk. Uh, I had written down Bill Belichick. I'm not going to say Matt Rule. I think Matt Rule's gotten better lately. 
but instead of Bill Belichick, I'll actually go and do the same guy I picked last year this time. You picked Bill Belichick. I'll take Sean McDermott. 4-0. Bills are playing really well. He's uh, he's a defensive guy, but whatever he told Brian Dable to do has got them. He's got, I mean, like he, he's empowered Brian Dable to be more aggressive on offense and it's paying yeah. off really well for Josh Allen. So, uh, so I will say Sean McDermott. And I think he's I like it. Has he won it yet? Did he? Sean McVay won it. Sean McVay won it. Sean McDermott has not, but that's Sean a great McDermott pick. is deserving of a coach. Probably should have thought of that. To be honest, probably should have thought of that. Um, the Belichick won it. I don't know, man. Like that, this past Monday night football game, I thought his scheme was tremendous. Their defense executed pretty well, but the decision to start Hoyer that switched the system, I was like, all right, well, what was the point of Hoyer in the first place then? And then look, I mean, I, I put it more on Hoyer not being aware of not having a timeout at the end of half. Sure. That's not on Belichick, but it, it is odd that he didn't know the situation. Like usually, like they are so good at that. And I don't know. It's surprising to see like that's how that play and that's how the half turned out. Belichick was more, was, was angrier in that game that I think I've ever, not ever seen him, but like, I believe so. It was an awful call by the officials on what should have been a fumble by Mahomes. But, he, but you could see it in his anger where he's like, like we have, we have this game. Like we have a chance to steal a game from Kansas City in Kansas City. With a bash. Like on a messed up week with Brian Hoyer starting. He's like, and you guys dropped the picks. He's like, you screwed me on the call. And Hoyer, are you kidding me? Like I coached my masterpiece and you do like, and you guys screw it up. Come on. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to think like how close that game really was. You pull away with a pick six and just uh, throw on another three for the field goal at the end of the half. And like you look at where you're at, you're going, holy crap. Like they shouldn't have been close. Yeah. Yet he, he's legit, man. He's special as a head coach. There's no doubt. He's the goat. Uh, all right. And you are the goat of Brady Quinn football show podcasting. As well. <laughs> Thanks as always, man. We'll talk to you. Is that every, that's everything. I think. Yeah. That's all the, yeah, everyone. that's all. Yeah. I will uh, see you later this afternoon on the Pick Show. Make sure to watch Brady and I on CBS Sports HQ, 4 p.m. Eastern for a full hour. <laughs> Was it a half hour? Half hour. It, it's it's not what it used to be. I know that. Is it shorter or longer? It's shorter. <laughs> okay, I think it's a half hour. They, I think they, we do it. I think we do it like 40 minutes, 45 minutes. That's right. Yeah, it's like 40 minutes. It's uh, it's compressed. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's compressed, it's, but it's fun. It's compressed and it's also kind of depressing. Well, no, it just, you know, we get, like, bumped out by soccer now. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, like, Champions League? Please, you think those guys are rich? We're rich. Come on. Um, anyway, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. Let's get out of here. Thanks, Brady. Talk to you later. See ya. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, 
There's joy in every journey.